0: the approach to third party risk management you know has to fundamentally change and i think some of that has to happen at the regulatory environment some of it has to turn and change from a internal perspective right what are the expectations and then i think you know contracts legal procurement is going to have to you know step up and make some changes also
1: Welcome to this week's episode of the Defender's Advantage Frontline Stories. I'm Carrie Maitre, your host, and today we're going to be talking about third party risk management. Now, joining me is Don Marie Hutchinson, the CISO of British American Tobacco. So, thank you, Don Marie, for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. Always good to talk to you. Yes, and you've had a great career as CISO of multiple large organizations throughout the world. So can you kind of give us just a little background on your history through the world of of CISOs?
0: Well, sure. So I started my little career as a political science graduate out of the University of New Hampshire, and I got my first job as an admin assistant to the director of IS Logistics. And she said after just six weeks, I got fired from that job. She said, you know, some people meant to step and fetch and you're just not one of those people. So what ended up happening is she moved me to the tech writing pool. And I kind of haven't looked back. I took my first CISO job uh, about 10 years, 15 years later, from the
1: moment I got fired
0: at Disney. And that was 10 years ago. So here I am.
1: There you go. And you have had numerous roles. uh, Right now, you're actually based in London, right? That's right. I moved to London a year ago today, actually. I stepped off the
0: plane to start this new chapter, and uh, my husband came along all joyful and weary, but he uh, works remotely out of our house, and I come to the office every day, which I thought I'd never say again after COVID, but here we are.
1: Here we are. Yeah, and, and I wanted to point out, you were just named one of the top global CISOs in the world from Cyber Defense Magazine, so congratulations. That's a huge honor.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's always exciting just to be recognized for the work you do as a woman in cyber. It's even more exciting to be part of a group that's like all CISOs. Yeah. You no, know, not just female ones. So this is the first time that's ever happened. So this is particularly joyful for me.
1: That's that's amazing. Congratulations. So down to our topic: third-party risk management. And we're talking we're talking supply chain, but we're not going to get into the world of software supply chain because that's, uh, you know, going to be a longer conversation. <laughs> so we're really talking about supply chain. And, you know, our businesses are are so reliant on our supply chain, our third parties. So I think Interos just published something saying the average annual revenue loss from supply chain disruption is $184 million. So what's your approach for managing third-party risk? So the tricky part about
0: third-party risk management is there's no assessment that I can do on one of my third parties that's going to uncover the kind of incidents that we've been seeing, right? I can run a robust third-party risk management program. I can risk rank all of my vendors. I can send teams of people on site to review standards, security posture. I can run tests against them. I can automate and do continually monitor you know, their externally facing environment. But at the end of the day, if an employee clicks a link that causes a ransomware attack, that's something I'm never going to find. But the losses are still great. So the approach to third party risk management, you know, has to fundamentally change. And I think some of that has to happen at the regulatory environment. Some of it has to turn and change from a internal perspective, right? What are the expectations? And then I think, you know, contracts, legal procurement, is gonna have to you know step up and make some changes also.
1: Well, and there already are you know regulators requiring some you know oversight of third parties, right? I know this is not one of your favorite <laughs> requirements that you have to abide by. Why is that?
0: Yeah, so so you know the regulators say you know you have to have some sort of oversight over third parties, you know, specifically ones that are managing our, our data for you. And that all makes perfect sense. It's it's magically logical. But in much the same ways they can't regulate or shouldn't regulate how much time it's going to take me to solve a security incident, it's very difficult for them to regulate that I must provide this oversight because there's just genuinely no way for me to know. So I can either spend three million pounds a year on a third-party security program that goes out and assists my vendors but actually brings no real value, no real return, or I can build up resiliency controls
1: and defensive controls with the same value dollar. So it's, it's a regulations make sense in theory, but in practice, you know, are very expensive and don't necessarily, you know, reduce your risk at all. Right. And, I, and I'm the probably, you know, on the
0: outside on this one, most, most people really hate GDPR. But what I really liked about GDPR was that cybersecurity was really one line. You must provide reasonable security. And while that's kind of, you know, a bit opaque, hard to really put your program behind it, it's maybe not as specific as some folks would like, it gives me the freedom and flexibility to move with the market, the move with the threat environment, to do what I think is best and document why I did it. And I think that that's the approach uh, we should be looking to take in the
1: the U.S. That's a good idea for sure. When you're doing these risk assessments, when you're making sure that you are dotting your eyes, for lack of a better term, what do these sorts of assessments look like? So oftentimes, these
0: assessments are, are framework based, and you're going to the environment to find out, are they following, you know, whether it's NIST, or, um, you know, any of the really C S C any of them, it's really just going in and saying, what controls do you have in place? Now, oftentimes I think the magical irony of all of this is that in across my career, and I had a stint in consulting there, you know, I would see organizations assessing their third parties against a stricter standard than that, which they hold themselves. So, you see this list of controls, this exhaustive list of checkbox, and then you kind of decide, is that okay or not okay for your vendor to do that? But like I said, at the end of the day, you know, I'm sure one of your questions is going to be, you know, do you have phishing training uh, for your employees? Well, how, how really valuable is phishing training at the end of the day? Because those emails look super real. You know, there's only so much you can train somebody. It's digital transformation. Every email is going to be riddled with links. That's what we're doing with digital transformation. So now we're saying, no no don't click on the links. Clash. But so there's an example of a control that you're going out and you're asking your third parties, do you do this thing when internally most of us are backing away from that phishing training program.
1: Well, and on top of all of that, you know, it sounds like these are checkbox sort of just list items. Are there is it is it automated at all or is it really just a spreadsheet of 500 questions. Do you do this? Do you do that?
0: Yeah. And and it's, it's, do you do this or do you do that? So you've got a value judgment on the person asking and the person answering. Does the person asking know what they're asking? And does the person answering know what they're answering? So that's the first problem with your checkboxes. Second, I can send the survey out to them and they can do it. But there again, it's all subjective. You're getting answers to the questions, but they're able to hide you know, uh, nuances, let's say, when we do it that way. So, again, not a whole lot of value in the survey itself. You might use an, a tool. You know, there's a number of tools out there on the market right now, which will do an external scan of the environment and give you some tips and kind of point out, you know, maybe um, if we were to liken it to a credit score, right? And they'd say, okay, well, these, this company has XYZ vulnerabilities externally facing. Well, if you're a security practitioner, you might go, or do they have honeypots, right? And so it's, it's really, it doesn't, you know, any kind of deceptive technology is going to come up and look like a flaw. So, you know, that's the kind of hitch and the giddy up on those ones, those types of tools. So there isn't an automated way to do this yet. And the ways that we're doing it are not terribly effective to begin with. It, it really comes down to you can get a, a sense for whether or not they kind of have their stuff in order, right? They're a, a safer bet. But at the end of the day, we're not going to see a vulnerability. You know, we're not going to see, you know, let's, say, let's face it. Like uh, Recently, we had a vulnerability that the people who patched actually were the ones who suffered the losses. You know, the company I was at at the time, you know, we hadn't yet moved to the next version. So we didn't install the flaw. The vulnerability. So we were okay, but how are you going to catch that in a third-party assessment? You're not. So some of the losses we're seeing in these third-party incidents are not something that we can get from a survey.
1: Well, it sounds like you lucked out by being a laggard on your patching. Good work. Well, on top of that, I mean, I've talked to organizations that have 10, 20, 30, 40,000, you know, suppliers. I mean the, the scale seems impossible. So how do you even prioritize? Like which suppliers you're going to look at?
0: Yeah. So so that's that's so true. And also we're we're looking at different types of suppliers now. It used to be you might outsource a part of your operation, but you know you might outsource your manufacturing now. Or you know with with the new environment, the the new model is kind of to kick everything out um, and maximize price. So when you do that, you have to then take a different look at how do I whittle down the number of vendors I I genuinely care about? So there's a couple ways. Uh, One, if it's a manufacturing supplier, right, we're looking at, we're focused more on what is their risk to my business? So are they a single source supplier or do they have other suppliers that can pick up the slack? If they're a technology provider, you know, availability being one of the key pillars of cybersecurity. What does their resiliency plan look like? Putting them high at the top because if they go down, what is the material? What is the cost impact of their outage? We're looking at anybody with data. If they have a data loss, if I have transferred data to them, and let's face it, at this point, if I tra- transferred any data to them, they're of keen interest to me. Because now I have, that's where my regulators step in and say, you know, how are you managing the people who are managing your people? So looking at anybody who receives data uh, coming in at the top of my risk list. But so I think that's I the kind of three main criteria.
1: Yeah. And, and those are kind of your tier one suppliers, but there could still be hundreds of those, maybe even a thousand, thousands, thousands, thousand, thousands, mm-hmm. yeah. thousands.
0: Particularly in the in the technology space, you know, uh, we have to look at, you think of all of your, you know, SaaS tools, you know, how are you managing those relationships and the kinds of data that they have access to? So, you know, most of us, um, and we kind of said we weren't going to touch the software providers, but there they are, right? <laughs> so, you know, loud and proud. And the other kind of piece of this is you also have your... Digital enablement, people getting smarter, faster, more creative, and and finding third parties, you know, through their phone, right, their apps, their you, know, you all of a sudden discovered, oh gosh, you know, this line of business is using, you know, this cloud provider, and I never saw them,
1: right? Because their your your supplier is using another supplier, who's using another supplier, and another. So you can't really get the whole picture.
0: Well, I mean, just my internal team, my shadow IT stuff, right? I never see that relationship created. Now, now the downstream suppliers of suppliers of suppliers, that will always be a fundamental problem with third-party risk management. I mean, it was, you know, at the time HIPAA came out, and uh, we all, what was that, 2004-ish, the security rule came out. You know, it was fairly easy to manage, you know, your third parties then because they weren't that, there wasn't such a massive downstream, but now the, the Yeah, the family tree gets
1: just too big. Well, and it seems, you know, logically, if you have a brand new supplier, you're evaluating them before you even start using them. That's one use case, but what about your suppliers that are already built into your business that then don't answer a question on your questionnaire the way that you'd like them to? Do you have any way to compel them to increase their security? Or what's your leverage with those suppliers? Um,
0: Well, there's interesting because there's actually two factors of that existing relationship. So let's say I start a relationship with Carrie Matry, Inc. And she's going to take out the bins in my office. So Carrie Matry Inc. takes out the bins in my, in my office for you know, three months. We like her so well, we decide instead we're going to hire her to run our HRIS system. Well, that change in relationship doesn't necessarily get felt outside of that business relationship, he who contracts you. So in that case, I will never have seen that you went from a benign supplier of a service with no data involvement to magnificent data exposure, and I won't have seen that change. So that's one way that we, you know, kind of find ourselves um, on a back foot. But then, you know, to your point, let's say I go out, I do my third-party assessment on a company I've been working with for a lot of years, and I discover, you know, oh, you know, we're not aligned to a framework or something. What do we do now? Um, for the most part. You have to hope that your contracts have the language in there that say that they're going to adhere to your standard. And if they don't, it allows you the termination of a contract, which sounds nice in principle. However, if they're your hosting provider, that's a massive move. That is not an easy switch. So you can compel them in, I'm going to move away from you. You violated the contract. But I think even the vendor knows that the likelihood is pretty skinny on that. Because to move would be massive. So there is some give and take. I think most suppliers want to do the right thing. I think most of them in this day and age are doing the right things. But when you find the one that isn't doing the right thing, it is a long and arduous conversation. And sometimes it comes down to the next time an RFP goes out, you have to tell that vendor you're not getting a bite at this apple because... And, and it's amazing
1: how fast they move then. Right, for sure. Well, and, and one of the ways people mitigate this is to have, you know, kind of spread your risk across multiple suppliers, which then just increases the number of suppliers you have to look after. So yeah. it's And it doesn't
0: reduce risk. risk. It really it's doesn't.
1: I mean, so I, it's one thing to have that single point of
0: failure, right? If you have a product being produced at one vendor and they have a ransomware attack that locks them up for eight weeks, you have to have your uh, your business continuity plan has to be a maze right. uh, if you're gonna have a single source provider so when I think about managing a third party on the manufacturing side, I think about inventory I think about you know transportation and logistics and things like that so if we drop a, a third-party supplier, how long until that pain starts happening so you can really m- manage that third-party relationship, on your continuity plans but there again the regulators aren't going to care about your manufacturing environment so much except if you're a public company because now that's going to have a material impact on your revenue right and so because right. it has a material impact on your revenue it has an impact to your shareholders and should you have been able to manage that
1: risk probably right i'm, I'm going to stop and point out that you use the word amazeballs so i appreciate that that's amazing <laughs>
0: We're nerds at the end of the day, Carrie. I'm a
1: nerd in a nice office. That's, That's all right. Like. So I did, a, I did a podcast with an organization that was a um, cybersecurity insurer, a carrier. And one of the things that came up was, you know, if, if you are a car manufacturer, you are responsible for making sure that your car is safe we don't have that in the cybersecurity industry and I'm wondering why not. So why are we not pushing back on these third party suppliers that you guys get your own certification that you're meeting a a standard and then we don't have to do it to every single one of our suppliers. They're doing it and coming to us with, here's my certification. Why do you think this hasn't happened yet? Yeah. This
0: is why you and I are brilliant because if I'm a supplier, I want to choose that route because they don't supply to just me. So if I send somebody out to go assess their program, there's what do they have? Like a hundred thousand customers? To, I don't even know. And they're having that same experience with all of them. So it behooves the suppliers to be ready with a uh, with either you know any kind of third party assessment, you know SOC two reports or. You know, almost as good as the paper they're written on, but they're bringing you at least a level of assurance that I would get if I sent an assessor out. So, you know, let's look at you know SOC two reports. But no matter what happens, it has to be a third party assessor. You know, I, I want someone not the not my supplier to tell me they're okay. And so, I'm hoping this is the direction, and I'm hoping that this podcast is a really good step in moving that direction. Because as I talk to other CISOs, they're having the exact same experience. So the CISOs are frustrated because we don't have the budgets to do this kind of activity. The suppliers are frustrated because they don't have the budget to maintain the, the staff to take these, you know, upstream requests. So if we're all confused and we're all frustrated, then let's let's solve it together. I would take a report. If one of my one of my suppliers said, uh, here's my SOC2 report. I would say, great, let's go.
1: Yeah, saving money for organizations, saving money for suppliers seems like, wow, that's the way we should go. But maybe, you know, who would put those requirements together? That's a bigger question than you and I are are going to be able to answer today. Yeah,
0: I, I lean on the ISACs a lot for them to come up with the answer because they often do. And then, but then you have your, the second problem, which is that, you know, many suppliers serve many industries, so it might not work as well like that, but we need to get the regulators off this first rather, regulators off this kind of black and white notion of management, uh, you know, what they define management because my oversight of a third party needs to be able to move with the environment.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned before, you know, any any of these regulations, the way that they are right now, aren't necessarily reducing your risk. They're not necessarily going to prevent the next breach. So if you were to save a you know, million dollars, I know it's more than a million dollars you guys are spending on third-party risk management, but let's call it a million. Where would you be investing that into your security program that would have a better impact on risk reduction? Mm-hmm. So I think
0: one thing that we should clarify, because I think you and I are talking about security management of third parties, and the privacy people would have a totally different view on what they need to assess on their third parties in terms of how they use their data. So let's put that caveat in place, that we recognize that we need to know how your supplier is doing with your data. So let's you and I totally acknowledge that for all the naysayers. We're thinking about more of the security side, and for the security side, listen, if if. Cyber risk is measured by likelihood of occurrence times impact. Our likelihood right now is nearly certain. I think if I had an extra million pounds in my budget, I would 100% put it on response and recovery because to me, that's that's how I manage the impact and if I can manage the impact, I can manage the risk. But I think right now, the the world we're living in between the socioeconomic climate that makes it really attractive to become a hacker, you know, low barrier to entry, low cost of entry, and the amazing, amazing world that we're living in, you know, from nation state actors to, you know, just at an all new level that we've never seen before. I think the likelihood is just, very high. And so I think we also have to get off of the notion of blaming companies for having had a cybersecurity incident um, and focus more on how they're handling their cybersecurity and so on.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's it's uh, don't blame the victim in this. In yeah. this case. If,
0: if I get robbed in the park tonight, like on my way home from work, you know, the answer isn't, well, you shouldn't have been carrying your iPod AirPods, right? It shouldn't be, it's your fault um, because you walked through the park. You should have gone a different way home, right? We just simply go after the bad guy and we sort it. In cybersecurity, we focus on all the reasons why somebody got themselves a victim. And uh, I just think it's just not the right approach. And then I think we, as a community, as a cybersecurity community, are really terrible at roasting our peer group
1: yes yes i i agree with that that's a cultural shift that just needs to happen across the entire industry and hopefully we that's right. hopefully we start to see that so all right thank you for joining me um i really hope that you stay safe in the park tonight
0: yes, <laughs> yes. I, I walk through uh holland park on my way home from work every night
1: nice. all right well i really appreciate you joining me um, for those listeners out there please join us next time for the defenders advantage frontline series thank you